Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It uh, actually seems quite wintry outside this morning for <laughs> one of the first times this winter. So I want to welcome everyone here this morning and everybody coming out of their warm and cozy houses. I uh, want to thank everyone that was able to be at the uh, business meeting on Thursday. Uh, we were able to get a lot accomplished. And we are working on getting a quote for the installation of the generators, uh, et cetera. So uh, we'll be working on that in the next couple of weeks. And uh, the last announcement I have is just that the, uh, uh, we were able to pick up the flooring um, for the uh, new addition. And so if you would like to, uh, we'll hopefully be meeting in a few weeks and we'll be voting on that. So if you could kind of uh, take a look at that and see what your thoughts are and what your preferences are. And, uh, and then we'll be uh, prepared to uh, vote and uh, meet on that. Uh, Ian had a, uh, an announcement. Good morning. Just want to remind everyone about small group plans. So this Friday at the Miller's house, uh, we're starting our study of uh, gentle and lowly. So those books are in the back. Um, Donna asked me this week how, uh, how many we had, we had coming, and I said, I have no idea. <laughs> so uh, I, I neglected to, uh, to, to keep track of anyone who's mentioned it to, to me. So if you're planning on coming, um, if you could let me know, just so we could have a, a rough head count. Yeah, um, keep forgetting to tell you. Okay, yeah. If you tell me now, I will forget. So <laughs> send me a text or, or, or mention to me after, after the service or, or, or that sort of thing. Um, it's a great book. Yes. We'll probably look at the first chapter for the, for the first lesson. Um, and we'll, we'll try and figure out a pace. We'll probably end up going through a couple chapters a week just because we don't want to be going on for whatever, 20 chapters or however, however long it is. We don't want to go for 20 weeks. So the, the only other thing I'd mention um, is that a few weeks ago I, m I mentioned the possibility of having a Gospel 101 study again. So I've had one person respond to me about the Gospel 101 study. So if anyone is interested in the Gospel 101 study, let me know so we can know if we have a, a viable study on this. Uh, this is great material. Um, we, we went through it last fall. Um, so if you're a, a new Christian, um, interested in, in getting a, a solid foundation in the faith, or a seasoned saint, and you want to know better how to communicate the Gospel, this is the book. Um, I'm seeing nods. This is a great, this is a great material. So if, if, uh, if, if you've been thinking about joining a small group and, uh, and you've just sort of right, been right on the edge, this is your, this is your message, <laughs> right? Let me know. So, all right. Thank you. That's right. Don't ignore God's prompting. Any other announcements this morning? I think we have uh, Secret Sisters uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And uh, any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Just a reminder. Yes, Jane. Yes. Uh, those have been returned, I assume? Four have, but some Great. Okay. So if you haven't gotten a, an empty baby bottle to fill up, uh, there's a few more there. And uh, we thank you for uh, the ministry of, uh, 
of uh, Zoe's Women's Center. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, think I, I know that word. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's open this morning with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We look out the window and, and see the beautiful sunshine and we're so thankful for the different seasons and for the cold and for the warm and the beauty of your creation. And every day, we can marvel at that if we, if we allow ourselves and to see the beauty of, of creation and the beauty of the stars and how you made it all. And uh, it's just so hard to comprehend. But we know that you are a God that is, uh, that is with each one of us as Christians. And as we go through difficulties, you are there and you help us. You're there to encourage us no matter what our situation is. And sometimes we all go through situations that seem almost unbearable. But we can take heart in knowing that you are there with us to guide us. And sometimes we go through those difficulties to make us stronger. And we pray that if that's the case, that you would do your work in our lives and in our hearts. We just thank you that we can be here this morning, that we live in a country where we are free to worship you. We pray that you would watch over our country this morning as there's so much turmoil. We pray that you would lead and guide the leadership of our country and that your will would be done. And we pray that you would help us each and every day to uh, to live for you and to be a witness for you wherever we are. And we, again, pray that you would watch over our service this morning and that everything that we say and do this morning would be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 111. If you'd like to follow along, Psalm 111. Love the Psalms, they're so encouraging. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who are delighted, who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his co covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of, their na of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. How appropriate. Let's turn for our first song in your hymn book to number 143, 
This is my Father's world. Let's stand and sing all three verses. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Let's sing all four verses.
Thank you. <clears throat> and now would the ushers come forward for the morning offering, please. Sorry. <laughs> we give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. I trust the Lord from thee. Amen. Brian, would you pray, please? Let's remain standing, and we'll sing number five in your small um, uh, printout, uh, In Christ Alone. i 
There's not much I love more than hearing the people of God lift up the name of Jesus. It's wonderful. I can't, I can't, every, every week is like a, a foretaste of that holy roar that will erupt when we're finally united one day in heaven. Those choruses that we see spoken about in the book of Revelation. We're going to spend some time together now in prayer. A couple of, oh, just a second. My brain. A um, couple of prayer requests here um, in the offering. Um, uh, Dean and Beth are not with us this morning. Dean threw out his back. And so please be in prayer for him. Um, and uh, Donna, Donna wanted me to pass along from Herm that uh, he misses us, that he, he loves us. Um, and, uh, and Donna said that he'd, he'd certainly appreciate any visits. Um, just be sure to call ahead because he likes to nap. So call Donna <laughs> and find out if, if uh, Herm is available. And um, obviously he can't be with us uh, here this morning, but um, but he's he's a part of us, and so um, so be sure to reach out so he knows. Yeah, we miss him here. 
Any other prayer requests, praises, thanksgivings? Jane. Debbie Palmer's having surgery on the 24th. She thinks it's back surgery. That's at Maine Med. Pray for Debbie. I got a knock on my door the other day, and it was Karen Turner. Mm. Good. Good. If you didn't hear that, Sharon Turner stopped by the, the Millers and just heaped food and goodies on, on uh, her Madonna this week. And uh, Lester's feeling better. They're hoping to be back in church soon. So that's good. Yeah, Matt. said Dick and Debbie, okay, your father-in-law and his wife, they have COVID, but for their salvation as well. Any other prayer requests or praises? We'll pray for you, Mike, in a, in a season of transition for you. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we worship you because you're our God, our creator, and our king. And as the psalmist prays, every day we will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. You're, you're so amazing, God, we can hardly even wrap our minds around you. We can't. Your knowledge is, is greater than we could ever fathom. Your love is more than we could ever understand. You're gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Your mercy is over us and over all the all that you've made. And so we give thanks to you, Father. The rocks and the mountains and the trees cry out and we, we cry out too. Thanks to you, our creator. We confess, Lord, as we come to you this morning that we are sinners. Uh, we know our transgressions. Against you, we've sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that if you were to condemn us, you'd be right and just. Like all mankind since the garden, we've we're sinners from birth. We ask, Father, that you'd have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. We'll, we confess our sins now silently to you, O God.
We confess our sins clearly and we ask your forgiveness boldly. Because though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we know that those who come to your son Jesus in true faith are justified by his grace as a gift. Who is to condemn us if we are in Christ? Jesus, you are the one who died and were raised for us, and even now you are seated at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. Though our sins are many, your mercy is more. And we ask that as we come to you in prayer, you would banish every doubt and fear from our minds. Assure us, Lord, of our forgiveness in Christ. Lord, we come with a number of requests and petitions and, and praises to you this morning. We lift up, as has already been prayed, Lord, we lift up our nation. Pray that you'd bestow your blessing and your wisdom on our leaders, all those who are in power over us. Pray that you would be at work in the events of our time for your glory, for the building of your church. Whatever that might look like, Lord, we say, your will be done. We trust that you're sovereign, that you raise kings and you tear them down. You raise empires and you tear them down. And so we, we entrust it all to you. We do pray that there would be peace in our time, that we'd be able to have opportunity to freely share the gospel and to worship your name. Lord, we think of, uh, of Dean Bartlett and, and Beth, who are not with us this morning. We pray that you'd be with them. Help Dean with his back. Pray that you bring healing to him. Continue to be with, um, with Beth as she cares for her parents. And uh, pray that um, Dean would be healed soon so that they'd be able to make the most of this time when Dean's, uh, Dean's home now for, for a few weeks. Lord, we also pray for a young man at Bath Ironworks who was badly hurt. Pray that you'd be with him. Lord, we lift up uh, Charlie Parnell. Pray that you be with him physically, spiritually. Continue to strengthen him in his strong faith. And be with him, Lord. Grant him health. We, uh, we lift up Debbie Palmer with her up upcoming surgery. Uh, we, we pray for her. That, that surgery would go well, that you'd be uh, at work through the hands of the doctors, that she'd have healing, Lord, and a relief from pain in her back and and we, we pray, too, for Sandy as he supports her through all of this. And um, pray that you'd, 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 uh, you'd heap grace on them in the coming weeks and months. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for Sharon and Lester. They're a part of this congregation. We thank you that Lester's feeling better. And we, we just we give you praise and thanks for their their generosity this week to the Millers. And um, Lord, we thank you for what a gift it is to be a part of a church body. And and sometimes that gift only becomes apparent in in difficulty, uh, Lord. But um, those of us who've been there know, Lord, what a blessing it is to be a part of this church body. And we thank you, Lord, for the generosity. Uh, that you've inspired in, in these people. Lord, we lift up, um, we lift up another, a, a number of folks who are on our hearts. We think of, of Connie, Lord, Shirley Freeman, who's not with us. We pray for her and the boys. Lord, we lift up uh, Allison as she, um, she continues her journey. And pray that you be with her, strengthen her. 
Lord, we pray for Jim. Pray that you'd work powerfully in his life. Pray for Andrea, Lord, as we, as we do every week. Pray that you'd be at work in her, in her body and in her soul. Lord, we think of Nancy, who's not with us this morning. Pray that you'd continue her healing from that the minor surgery she underwent. Lord, we pray for Matt's father-in-law and his, uh, his wife and Dick and Debbie. Pray that, uh, pray that they'd come through uh, COVID, Lord, uh, without having passed it to anyone and without any lasting damage. And more than that, we pray for the state of their souls. Um, we know our, our bodies will one day die, but our souls will live forever. And we pray that you'd be at work in their hearts, that they'd come to know you and know Jesus, they might be saved. And we, Lord, we thank you for Mike and his presence with us this morning, and we thank you for the way that uh, Luther and Dottie have been able to help him and minister to him in the last couple days. And Lord, we just pray that um, you'd, uh, you'd give him comfort and guidance at a point of difficult transition in his life. Pray that he'd be able to, to settle into the, the place he's moving and be able to find uh, find work uh, where he's going and uh, um, we pray in all of it that, that you'd be glorified in the way you provide for Mike and that uh, that you would provide you, you, you promise that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness all else will be provided pray that that would be a sweet sweet promise for Mike to lean on in the coming days and weeks Father, we pray finally for the health of our church. We pray that you'd raise up men in this place, Lord, who are sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Pray that you'd teach the husbands among us to love our wives sacrificially, even as ourselves. Pray that you'd teach us to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honor to our wives as unto a weaker vessel that our prayers wouldn't be hindered. Pray for the fathers in our congregation that you teach the, teach the fathers here not to provoke their children, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would we pray for the ladies of our church, particularly as they meet for Secret Sister this afternoon. Pray that you'd knit them together in love. You'd raise up women in this place whose mouths speak your word, speak holiness and righteousness, who are adorned with the imperishable inner beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in your sight is very precious. Pray, Lord, that um, you'd, you'd teach husbands and wives to live together in an understanding way. Teach husbands to love their wives and wives to submit to their husbands. The women of our church would be a blessing to their homes and their communities. Pray that you would call and equip a new generation of women in our church to walk in the spirit, to be self-controlled and pure, building their households for your glory. We pray for the children of our church. Pray that um, they learn to obey their parents, to honor them as you've commanded. We pray too, Lord, that they would come to a real, saving, vital knowledge of your son Jesus 
in a world that is full of ways to be pulled away from Jesus, we pray that you would hold on to them and draw them to yourself by your spirit. We thank you for this little community. Thank you for what a blessing it is to be a part of your church and to be able to sit back and watch you at work in the lives of those around us, in the lives of this community. We pray, Lord, that you'd glorify yourself among us. Do mighty things that we can only explain by praising you. We ask that you'd be present with us by your spirit the rest of this morning that you'd be at work in our hearts and our lives by your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's chilly this morning. I, uh, understatement. My, uh, my brother calls this nose hair weather. Uh, I think you know why. <laughs> Felt that this morning. We, uh, we're picking up this morning in our study in Mark on the heels of a huge announcement by Jesus. Right, last week, we, we witnessed the Apostle Peter make his, his profession of faith. Right? He saw for the first time that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus said something unexpected. He told the disciples that instead of conquering the nations in a great military victory as the Messiah, he was actually going to have to die. That he was going to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So last week we explored that great reversal of the disciples' expectations. Jesus had actually come to die. He, his eyes were, were fixed on the cross. If you've ever driven across country, um, as you cross over the Rocky Mountains on your way to the Pacific coast, at some point you'll see a sign on the side of the road that says Continental Divide. The mountains slope down in either direction, and, and water on one side drains to the Atlantic, and water on the other side drains to the Pacific. That's the Continental Divide. And this point in the Gospel of Mark is like a great Continental Divide. Everything up till now in Jesus' ministry, in Galilee and the surrounding regions, um, Jesus really had been working for the disciples to see who he was. And that's culminated in, in Peter's profession of Christ as the Messiah, and then uh, next week we'll see um, the transfiguration on the mountain. But now the, the direction kind of shifts. Everything now is going to begin to slope down, first gradually, then rapidly, to lead Jesus to the cross. We're moving crossward now. The first half of Jesus' ministry, as we said, was about leading the disciples to see who Jesus was and, as Messiah. And the second half is going to be leading Jesus to the cross. And he knew it. He knew it was coming as we saw last week. So today, we're going to look at an invitation by Jesus for his disciples to follow him where he's going. He's going to the cross, and he's going to invite them to come too. 
uh, entitled the message, An Invitation to Death. We're going to be in Mark uh, 8, 34 through 38. We'll read the passage together and then we'll pray. Mark 8, 34 through 38. I'll be reading out of the NIV here, which is what's in your pew Bibles. Mark 8, beginning in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is God's word. Father, we come to your word this morning with gratefulness, knowing that this book is a great gift. In it, you've actually made yourself known to us. You've shown us yourself. And this morning, as we consider the high price of discipleship to Christ, help us to consider and to count both the high cost and the great reward of following Jesus. We ask and we earnestly expect that you would be active and working among us this morning. Just like you made the world by speaking it into existence in the beginning, we ask that this morning, by your word, you'd be recreating our hearts by your spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What does it take to be a follower of Jesus? What does it cost? Jesus here, looking forward to his impending death and resurrection, makes no bones about the high cost of Christian discipleship. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now bear in mind, Jesus had not yet died on the cross when The disciples were hearing this, right? Today we have crosses everywhere. It's not an emblem of fear to us. It's it's an emblem of hope. It's a symbol of the saving work that Jesus accomplished. But for Jesus' listeners on this day, the cross was not a symbol of hope. It was a symbol of Roman oppression. Some estimates suggests that there were some 30,000 Jews crucified during Jesus' lifetime by the Romans. It's an average of around 1,000 Jewish people a year being crucified by Rome during Jesus' lifetime. The, The men hearing Jesus say, take up your cross, had almost assuredly seen scores of their Jewish countrymen dying, agonizing deaths on crosses alongside the road. Probably even some as they were walking around 
the countryside with Jesus. So this, is, this isn't a light thing for Jesus to say. And they don't yet understand what Jesus is even going to accomplish through the cross. But Jesus says, if, if you want to follow me, guys, here's how. First step on discipleship to Jesus. Pick up your cross like a man on his way to crucifixion. Deny yourself, deny your own comfort and safety, and pick up the emblem of death. According to Jesus, the invitation to Christian discipleship is an invitation to death. Following Jesus may require giving up your life. And this only makes sense on one level. If Christians are supposed to be disciples of Jesus, right? A disciple is a, we defined this in Sunday school this morning, a disciple is a learner, a follower. And a disciple not only wants to know what his teacher knows, a disciple wants to be like his teacher is, right? We're disciples of Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. But having told his disciples that he, he was going to die, that the cross was on his horizon, Jesus now had to prepare the disciples to understand. Guys, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be like me, you'll have to pick up your cross too. It's been one of the more difficult passages I've, I've had to preach um, and had to work through in my mind as we've gone through Mark. I think, I think we're prone to spiritualize passages like this because in all likelihood, as Americans, we simply won't face the threat of death for our faith. But as I've worked through this text this week, I, I think that the primary thrust of Jesus' message here was to prepare his followers not to pick up metaphorical crosses but to pick up the literal crosses which his disciples did end up bearing. John 15, verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And that foreboding promise of Jesus was actually borne out in the disciples' lives. You all have heard the stories. All but one, all but one of the 11 faithful disciples that heard Jesus' words on this day would be killed for their faith. Pick up your cross and follow me was not a, a pie in the sky way of saying that following him would be hard. For the disciples, it was a very literal way of preparing them for what following Jesus would actually cost. The Apostle Peter, who heard these words on this day, was famously crucified. He, he literally took up his cross in following Jesus. Legend has it that he, he asked to be crucified upside down because he, he reckoned that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner that his master was. Jesus' disciples literally lost their lives, in the words of verse 35, for Jesus' sake and for the Gospels. Their physical lives were taken for the faithfulness, for their faithfulness to Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. 
So before we can actually dive into this text, we need to understand that of all the Christians in the world, we in America are, I think, the least prepared to understand this text in the way it was spoken. It, it just doesn't cost much to come to church in America. Of course, to follow Jesus in any place requires us to die to ourselves, to our sinful desires, to our old lives, and to come alive in Jesus. Right, that, that kind of spiritual death and resurrection. In, in that sense, too, we have to deny ourselves. And I know even in this room, we have many people who've experienced loss or grief because they chose to follow Christ even when it hurts. But in comparison to our brothers and sisters around the world, it's easy to be a Christian in America. When was the, when was the last time a, a police officer pulled you out of a Bible study or a Sunday gathering for questioning? When was the last time you or your family was threatened with physical violence because you'd converted to Christianity? Can you name one American Christian you know who was killed for their faith in America? Um, Open Doors USA is a persecution watchdog group, and they report that last year, and I think, I think this is the 2019 numbers, almost 3,000 Christians were killed worldwide for their faith. And those are just the numbers that they, their ministry can confirm. 3,000 Christians. That's 60 times the size of our church. They also report that over 260 million Christians are living in places where they experience high or extreme levels of persecution. Put that in perspective. The U.S. population is 330 million, right around there. 260 million Christians experiencing high or extreme levels of persecution around the world. For 260 million Christians today, these verses strike home in a very literal, physical way. When facing the threat of physical violence at the hands of their neighbors or their government, these verses are steel in the spine of Christians everywhere. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We, we just don't live in a place that causes us to hear these verses with martyrs' ears. But I think that to properly understand Jesus' message, we need to try. These words were spoken to a group of men who would go on to die for the name of Jesus. And I want us to consider if we would be ready to, to do the same. So here's our focusing question this morning. Big question we want to answer. Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to die for Jesus? Is following Jesus, trusting Jesus, staying faithful to Jesus so good that it's worth enduring intense physical suffering and even death for his name? Is Jesus worth it? And I want to make the case, yes, he is. And in fact, that's the case that Jesus makes in this passage. Following Jesus, even unto death, is worth it. In these verses, Jesus was preparing his disciples to face the worst kind of persecution the world was going to throw at them. And he did so 
by offering a couple of very simple, very powerful truths for the men and the women of the persecuted church to lean on. And I want to get us these, I want us to get these truths deep in us. And here's why. We, we don't know what the world will throw at us as Christians living in Liberty, Maine in the 21st century. We just don't know what's ahead. We, we may have many more years of freedom in this country and never in our lifetimes experience systematic persecution for our faith. On the other hand, we may not. I'm, I'm very hesitant to make bold predictions. All kinds of people out there making bold predictions about where this country's going or where it's not going. Telling the future is an inexact science for anyone except for God. But I, I want us to be prepared for whatever comes. Paul's promise in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 is this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We may not be among those who are called to die for the sake of Christ, but it's a guarantee that we will suffer hardship and loss in this life for Jesus. And I want us to have steel in our spines to be able to face any kind of hardship. Would it be worth even dying for Jesus? Yes. We're going to see two reasons this morning. Here's our first reason. In giving up your earthly life, you'll gain your eternal soul. In giving up your earthly life, you'll gain your eternal soul. Take a look at verse 45, uh, 35. rather. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Save his life. Whoever would save his life will lose his life, but whoever loses his life will save his life. Sounds like a contradiction. But Jesus is talking about two different kinds of life. The word underneath the English life is actually the Greek word psuche, which has two meanings. It can mean either the physical life or the inner soul, the inner life. Which is actually really interesting because every English translation I checked translates the word suke as life in verse 35 and as soul in verses 36 and 37. Same Greek word. Take a look at verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his suke, his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Same word that's used for life in the verses above. Translators aren't trying to pull the wool over our eyes. They're not trying to confuse us here. What they're doing is recognizing Jesus' wordplay. He's using the same word for two different meanings. Jesus is using the double meaning of the word suke to make a point about what should really matter to the Christ follower. Whoever would save his suke will lose his suke, but whoever loses his suke will save his suke. Whoever would save his physical life will lose his eternal soul, but whoever loses his earthly life will save his eternal soul. Jesus is saying that there's something more important even than our physical lives, and that's our eternal soul. The cost of discipleship is high for many Christians. The 
cost of discipleship is death. Is it worth it? Jesus says, yes, there are things more important than your physical life. Because when you draw your last breath in this life, you will not cease to exist. We will exist for eternity, either in the presence of God or cast out into the outer darkness forever. And Jesus is here encouraging these disciples. The cost is high, but your soul is eternal. And if your journey of discipleship brings you to the place that your life is on the line, what better promise to lean on than Jesus' words here? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. This is Christ's promise to the martyrs. This is why 3,000 Christians died for their faith last year. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. If you lose your life for the sake of Jesus, you will save your life. Not this earthly life. No, many Christians have lost their earthly lives for Jesus, but in doing so, they hold on to the eternal life which Jesus promised them. Not that they earn eternal life by their death. No. We're, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ but in holding on to that profession of faith, some have done so even to the point of death. The martyr's hope and the martyr's confidence is not in this life, but in the God who holds their eternal souls. Their eyes are fixed on eternity. And whether or not our lives will one day be on the line for Jesus' name, I think it would be wise for us to learn to adopt the martyr's perspective on life. I don't mean a martyr complex, right? People talk about a martyr complex where people think they're always the victim. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes even Christians in America, we can start to get a martyr complex. Life for Christians in America is not as easy as it was 50 years ago, but we're, it's nothing in comparison to what so many people experience everywhere. Martyr just means witness. Uh, and over the years, it's, it's, it's come to mean those who die for their witness to Christ. And the healthy kind of martyr mentality, which Jesus is teaching here, is a mind that's fixed on eternity. A mind that's fixed on eternity. An eternal perspective is the hallmark of the Christian who's willing to sacrifice. If we're focused primarily on this world, primarily on making our lives, our earthly lives, as safe and as solvent and as comfortable as possible, we will not take risks for the kingdom. If, if the comfort of our earthly lives is our highest priority, we will not take risks for the kingdom. Now, the risks aren't inherently good, right? Making ourselves uncomfortable just for the sake of being uncomfortable isn't spiritual. But if our earthly security and comfort is our first priority, when trials, difficulties, or even persecutions for our faith confront us, we'll cave. Because our focus and our priorities, worldly, 
and, and a worldly focus is so easy in a time and a place when earthly comfort and earthly wealth are so readily available. We're the richest people who've ever lived on this, this earth, even the, the poorest among us. We're, we need to be awakened. Amen. Listen to Jesus confront our obsession with the world and all its pursuits. Verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? That doesn't mean we should hate the good things of this world. Um, the joys of friendship and family and food and winter sunrises are good things, right? We should actually enjoy all of those things more knowing that they're gifts from God. But the minute we make the pursuit of those comforts and the comforts of this world primary and we elevate that above Jesus, we'll deny Jesus just as soon as following him keeps us from our creature comforts. And I think this should, this should lead us to examine ourselves. Um, this, is, this has led me to examine myself this week. Are we living with the eternal perspective of a martyr or with the worldly fixations of America? This, this text is like a dagger. Um, maybe, maybe you, like me, come to this text and you say, you know, I, I really hope I would endure under suffering for my faith but I know I'm nowhere near perfect, and frankly, I care a lot about my comfort and my safety. And I know that if I was called to take up a literal cross, there would be a real battle within me because my flesh is weak, and I don't like to suffer. None of us do. So the question becomes, how do, how do we grow? How do we learn to, to see the world like a martyr? Um, I see two ways. Frankly, one way that Jesus teaches us that kind of endurance is, is putting us through the fire. The Lord actually uses our suffering for our sanctification to purify our faith. James 1, verses 2 through 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The only way to grow in physical strength is by exercise, and the spiritual principle is similar. The way we grow in our steadfastness for Jesus is by testing, by the exercise of our faith. So James tells us, when the gale force winds of trial threaten to blow you over, count it all joy, knowing that Jesus is actually producing steadfastness in you. Feel the burn of the workout of your faith, knowing that there's gains to be made. Like I said, there's no knowing the future, but American society's moved a lot over the past 50 years, away slightly from easy Christianity towards there being more cultural resistance. Um, the values we hold as Christians haven't changed, but the values of American culture really have. And we, we may be coming, again, no one knows the future, but we may be coming in the coming years to an, an increased testing, an opportunity to remain steadfast 
in the face of increasing pressure to cave to culture. That's just speculation, but I think we should at least be prepared for whatever comes. I think we're much more likely to see increasing pressure in the coming years than any kind of relief unless the Lord sends a revival, which we pray he would. So, what do we do with all this? If after saying all that, you say to yourselves, I'm still not sure I'm ready. I love comfort, and I love Jesus, but my faith hasn't been tested to the point of death, let alone any kind of real suffering. If that's you, the answer is not to beat yourself up wondering if you have a lack of faith. I mean, just, just think of the disciples, right? The disciples hadn't been tested at this point either. The point of Jesus' words here wasn't to shame his disciples for their possible lack of commitment. It was to equip them with everything they would need to stand for their Savior no matter the cost. And the way Jesus equipped them and equips us is by giving us an eternal perspective. In a society that's fixated on now, with with a limited attention span focused on short-term gains, as Christians, we need to learn to meditate on eternity. Verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? All we see around us with our physical eyes is the world. It's easy to, be, to have eyes fixed on the world. That's why we need to be constantly meditating on eternity, considering the fact that though one day, that one day we will all, all die, but our lives will continue on. Our destination is unseen, but it is very real. Every one of us will live forever. We're, we're all 12 or 40 or 60 or 90 years in on a life which will never end. Even the oldest among us are just getting started. Those of us who believe in Jesus know that we will spend eternity with God. When we die, we will be in his loving presence, and then at the resurrection, we will be given new resurrection bodies, and we will live in the new heavens and the new earth forever. We need a long-term perspective. We need to let the weight of eternity tilt the scale so we can see our lives in this world for what they are. Wonderful, painful, glorious, but fleeting. When we die, we'll have only just begun. And if we can get our head around that fact, we'll start to be of some use in this life. I've said it before. Our problem is not usually that we're too heavenly-minded to do any earthly good. We're usually too earthly-minded to do any heavenly good. We need to spend more time with our heads in the clouds so we can put our lives in perspective. That's the martyr mindset, eyes fixed on eternity. And and listen to this. The, The moment 
we begin to have the mindset of martyrs to fix our eyes on eternity, that's the moment we become really dangerous. Our eternal focus is why totalitarian governments hate Christians. When we're all in on eternity, we're untouchable. The Christian hope takes away all the tools which wicked men and women would use to manipulate us. Put me in prison. Take away my family. Take away my life. What are you going to do? All of that may be absolutely excruciating, but you can never touch my soul. I'm hidden with Christ. That's why the church in China is terrifying to the communist regime. That's the number one threat. I'm serious. They're all in and trying to tear it down. When people are all in on Jesus, you can't control them anymore. We may not think of ourselves this way, but we're part of the most politically subversive mo movement in human history. It only took five centuries to tear down the Roman Empire. The powers of this world lose their sway over us the minute we take Jesus at his word. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will s save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Following Jesus may require giving up your life. Is it worth it? Yes. First, because we've seen in giving up your life, you'll gain your eternal soul. And secondly, we'll see that suffering shame for Jesus is worth it because in giving up earthly honor, you'll gain the eternal honor of Christ. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again here, let's remind ourselves of this audience. Jesus is talking to a group of men who after seeing Jesus die and be raised from the dead would, with one exception, go on to die proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And as additional support to strengthen the spines of these Christians who are being sent out into difficulty and shame and death, Jesus warns them. In his kindness, he warns them. He warns them that you can either care about what the world thinks about you or you can care about what Christ thinks about you. And if, when it comes down to it, we care more about the opinions of men and are ashamed of the name of Christ, he will be ashamed of us when he returns in the glory of the Father. Again here, Jesus is trying to get us to, to focus our perspective on the eternal. We're surrounded by the pressures of the world. Will we let the evil and adulterous generation in which we live so pressure us that we're ashamed of the name of Christ? Or will we, with eyes of faith, Look forward to a day that we have not seen yet, to that day when Christ will, will return in power and glory. And will we, with eyes fixed on eternity today, say, that Jesus who's coming, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of him. Every one of, our one of our days should be lived in the light of that coming day. To the Christian with the mentality of a martyr, 
The coming of Jesus in the glory of his Father with the holy angels is more real today than anything this sinful generation may say or think. Jesus is coming, and it's his opinion that matters. That's, that's the kind of mindset training we need to have if we're going to withstand whatever the Lord allows this world to throw at us in this generation. We need to remind ourselves over and over to preach to ourselves of the unseen truth that, re, that eternity is real, that Jesus is coming, and that Jesus' opinion will be the only one that matters on that day. So it's the only one that matters today. In giving up earthly honor, you'll gain the eternal honor of Christ. The disciples were being prepared to bear the scorn of their own people and of the Roman Empire. No one liked Christians for the first few centuries of the church. No one except Christians thought that being crucified was an honor. It was deeply humiliating in the eyes of the world. But their eyes were fixed on Christ. And he is not ashamed of those who suffer for his sake. And his opinion is the one that matters. We're unlikely to suffer the shame of persecution in our time. But shame can still be a really powerful motivator in the hands of our godless culture, particularly in influencing young people. When you're a young person, especially in the teenage years, it's, it's natural to fixate on what other people think about you. You're trying to find your place in the world, and it's easy to get carried away into a kind of people-pleasing mindset where you make your lifestyle choices based on what people will think of you. That kind of mindset's really unhelpful and unhealthy for a lot of reasons. But what's most unhealthy is that you begin to let people's opinions of you dictate how you live instead of Jesus' opinion of you. There's a lot of folks out there, particularly in public schools, who will dismiss you if you claim to be a Christian and live it out consistently. In Maine, we are now living in a certified post-Christian culture. It is not cool to be a Christian. It is not cool to have a handle on your tongue. It is not cool to care about sexual purity. And here's Jesus' antidote to a people-pleasing mindset. Look to eternity. Look to eternity. Jesus is, will return one day. He's coming back, and though we cannot see him now, at the end of the day, as we said, it's his opinion that really matters. When he returns, it will not matter what anyone else thinks of you so long as Jesus knows you. Adults and young people alike, let's make it our settled goal not to be ashamed of Christ. Not to be ashamed of following him. Let's make it our aim to please Christ and no one else. Like I said earlier, that's, that's when the church of Christ gets really dangerous. That's when we become untouchable. Young people, when you start caring about what Jesus thinks above everything else, watch out. When you give everything over to Jesus, passionately pursuing his will alone for your life, he's going to start to use you in amazing ways. That's what he loves to do. And maybe that you're convicted by all this and you say, I, I've been ashamed of Christ. 
I've chosen to care more about the opinion of the people around me than the opinion of Christ. Will he be ashamed of me on that last day? It's okay. It's okay. You're not cast out. This isn't over yet. Remember the gospel. Jesus' love for you has never been about what you could do for him. It's always been about what he did for you on the cross. And remember Peter, the upside-down martyr, who was crucified for Jesus' name, not ashamed on the last day of his life? Read Mark 14 sometime. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And Peter went on to be the foundation stone of God's working in the world through the church. Don't be discouraged. Get back up. Repent if you need to. Go to God. Confess anything you have to be ashamed of. Then get up off the ground and get to work. That's what he told Peter when he saw him again. My prayer is that on the final day, would we meet Jesus face to face, we can stand tall, knowing that we were not ashamed to stand for Christ. And that when he greets us, he will not be ashamed of us, but say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Whatever sideways glances, cutting remarks, or verbal abuse you've received for following Jesus in this life, all of it will pale in comparison to the honor and joy of having the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords greet you with that phrase, well done. Jesus' disciples needed to be prepared to suffer for Jesus' name, and we need to be prepared to. Following Jesus can be costly. If following Jesus were to cost you your life, would it be worth it? Yes. Because, as we've seen, in giving up your earthly life, you'll gain your eternal soul. And in giving up earthly honor, you'll gain the eternal honor of Christ. If you ever have a chance, read the story of Jim Elliot and the other missionaries to the Aoka Indians. There's a, there's a couple of books about him and uh, a movie, too. Jim Elliot was a college student, he's a Christian, who put his money where his mouth was and decided that he was going to be part of reaching unreached people groups in South America with the gospel. And eventually, he and his companions were killed. They were killed by the tribe in remote South America that they were trying to reach. What's amazing is that the wives of the men who were killed actually went back. They continued to reach out to the tribe that had killed their husbands. And eventually this, this people group welcomed them in and, and a number of them gave, gave their lives to Christ. And Jim Elliot's most famous quote is a line that has haunted me ever since I, I first heard it. And he wrote this years before he was killed. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up his life in this life, which he cannot keep to gain his soul and the eternal honor of Christ in the next life. And a life like that may look foolish to the world, but it really is the only wise way to live when all is said and done. He is no fool who gives up 
what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We're almost done. I want to make one last point. We've got a lot of hurting and suffering people in our church right now. Not all of it, directly for the name of Christ. But I want to apply a principle here in this passage to the sufferers among us. Jesus has just told his disciples he, he had to die and then he was raised again. Right? We're his disciples too, so our lives follow the same pattern. We're called to follow him into death, but death which eventually will lead us into eternal life. Right? It's always the pattern. It's death that's, that leads to life. It's always crucifixion before resurrection. It's always Good Friday before Easter. Christ's death paves the way for our life in him. Suffering is the prerequisite for glory. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our suffering is not without purpose. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, by, renewed day by day. Listen to this. He says, for this light momentary affliction. If you read the context, he's talking about all the suffering of the world. He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Did you catch that logical link there? The, the light momentary affliction is our suffering is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God, in his amazing love and inscrutable wisdom, actually takes our suffering now and uses it to multiply the glory that is to come. Our suffering now, whatever that may look like, is a deposit in the bank of eternity. And when we reach glory, we'll receive it all back, transformed into an eternal weight of glory with interest. This is a great mystery, and I don't confess to understand how, how the math all works. But I felt led to share that this morning. Our, our suffering, though it is heavy, is preparing for us a weight of glory for us. And it's preparing us for the glory. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the steadfastness we hear in his words as he told his disciples that he had to go to the cross. He had to suffer. We know that steadfastness was born out of love for sinners, 
like us. Love, he, out of love, he died that we might live. Died that we might be forgiven. Died that we might be part of the family of God. Died that we might have eternal life. We thank you too for his resurrection. The glory we have to look forward to in the future. We pray, Lord, that with eyes fixed on eternity, we would not be afraid of whatever may come in this life. That you teach us to have the minds of martyrs. That eternity would weigh more heavily on our minds than anything this world may bring. That we would follow Christ to the uttermost. We pray, Lord, we know it won't be of our strength, We pray for the strength to be able to live our lives in such a way that on that day we will not be ashamed. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for the the high and the wonderful call to follow you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This final song, uh, I don't believe we know the tune. I don't think we've sung it before. No, it's a neat tune, though, but we've never sung it. Right, right. So we're going to sing the, the words of this final song. What was the tune I, I told you, Dottie? I've forgotten. Verse 11, come thou fount of every blessing. So the tune of come thou fount. So you should know that tune. I was just, Ian had made a note on that uh, the other day, and it's like, what was the name of that song it was sung like? Because I was getting ready to sing it. <laughs> All right, let's stand and sing the first and the last verse of 603 to the tune of Come Thou Fount, first and last verse. generation.